0: What's up, guys? It's Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another North American Weed Tour podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Robert Beasley, CEO of Fluent, uh, a multi-state operating cannabis business. How are you doing today, Robert?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you for joining. Um, Could you, you know, I guess to kick this off, Fluent is, uh, you know, MSL. So you guys are in a couple of different states. I know you're in Florida, which is going to be predominantly where the discussion today is going to be based around Which you guys are vertically integrated. But can you kind of give me the the overview of Fluent as a company, where you guys operate and a little bit about the operations?
1: Sure. Um, The parent company is called Consortium. It is listed on the CSE, uh, Canadian Exchanges, under TIUM, and it's co-listed on the OTCQX uh, in the United States. Um, It does business as the trade name Fluent. Uh, we are a multi-state operator. We are in Florida, Texas, Michigan, Pennsylvania, as well as some other uh, out-of-country jurisdictions. Um, our primary uh, uh, functioning asset at this point is our Florida market. Um, and so, But we do um, have a variety of uh, service provisions in each of the states. For instance, in Pennsylvania, we are retail. In Michigan, we are wholesale and cultivation. In Florida, we are vertical. And in Texas, we are vertical.
0: Awesome. And so which state did you guys, did Fluent launch in first? What what was kind of the, 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 the groundbreak market? First
1: license that Fluent obtained was in Florida. Um, It was one of the original five that were awarded in Florida. And at that time it was awarded to a uh, Knox nursery and Knox became Knox Medical. And upon the IPO in 2019, uh, the name was changed. The trade name was changed from Knox Medical to Fluent. And from there, we participated in the wild and crazy days of license um, uh, obtaining, uh, and were, was successful in the states that we've described.
0: Awesome, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a growth, uh, you know, these last few years for the state of cannabis in general has just been maximum growth, um, and it's very interesting coming from the West Coast and seeing how we rolled out to you guys on the other side of the map. You know, it's completely different how things have rolled out, and we have this weird mix of medical markets, adult use markets, medical markets turning into adult use. It's been a nice confusing, uh, you know, rollout. So for you guys, what, what are some of the challenges of operating in so many different markets? And, you know, obviously these regulations are not only changing at all times, each market has their own set of regulations and their own set of pace of, of how they transpire. So what have been some of the obstacles that you guys have faced in, in that regard? Well, as you noted,
1: um, the cannabis industry is state regulated. It is highly regulated um, and um, different in every state. Um, Florida is truly vertical, meaning we control the process from seed to sell. There's no other entry into the market. And so, so is Texas. The difficulty in those two states from a business point of view is there's not too many other businesses where you are a farmer, a manufacturer, a processor, and then also, retail presence those are usually different disciplines um, contributed by different entities within the stream of a product whereas in this case we're responsible from it from seed to sale Uh, going to Michigan and Pennsylvania uh, the origin of their regulations was different than the origin of Florida and Texas Um, I guess it may be a southern state northern thing state scenario and so the terminology is completely different Uh, we have to extrapolate uh, terminology in each of the state regulations to determine Um, compliance Um, and so we have truly different enforcement platforms and regulatory platforms within it they all share the same common disadvantages of being uh, not legal federally which then subjects us to the various restrictions uh, on banking the 280e issue that everyone's described the access of immigrant labor programs which is a tremendous disadvantage to our business um, and other disadvantages of not being federally legal
0: Absolutely. And so and you guys, you know, a couple of these states, you know, Texas is highly, highly regulated, very small, you know, window for how people can even really get to be a patient in that system. But from Texas to Florida to Pennsylvania, you know, three of those four markets you mentioned are medical uh, markets. What, what are some of the differences you guys have noticed coming from a medical market to then, you know, expanding operations into Michigan, which has a, a full on adult use?
1: So most states that we've operated in, in, in most states, they, they enter into the cannabis world through the medical market. And that is because the science and uh, testimony on anecdotal evidence now is, is practically undisputed that it has solid, verifiable medical benefits. And so even legislatures like Texas and the Deep South and you're seeing Alabama and Georgia and North Carolina coming online, um, the debate is over as to whether it is a valid effective medicine. What happens though is, is when uh, it's forced into those states because of the recognition of the science from a medical point of view, you have so many different additional restrictions that makes business tough. For instance, um, instead of considering the patient population, I'm sorry, the population of the state or the socioeconomic population for, for typical business type decisions, you're a subset of that population because yeah. only medical candidates qualify. And so you have to start considering uh, how difficult is it for to get your medical card, how difficult it is to qualify. We all know states like California, it's not very difficult at all, but in Florida, it's a very difficult process. It is an expensive process and that's governed under a whole set, separate state of regulations. So being in a medical state is, is, is more restrictive than of course an adult use state. That's the first issue. The second issue is who are your patients? Who are your customers? Um, the medical patients are typically average age older. Our average age in Florida is 53. Um, they are typically not experienced cannabis users. Um, these, these are true medical, seeking medical attention as an alternative to, in most cases, opioids. Uh, and so the baseline knowledge of those consumers is very, very low uh, compared to a recreational user. A recreational user comes into a shop typically with some level of experience. Um, they typically have already gone through their own personal R&D process where they know what works for them and what doesn't. Um, they they know the lingo. They know what to ask for. They're able to have a dialogue in a way that um, allows for their needs to be met. Whereas the medical patient needs an awful lot more care, needs an awful lot more dialogue to try to really determine how to translate what their, what their symptoms are into what could work for them.
0: Absolutely, and you know it's definitely something. You know, I, I hail from the West Coast, and it's something that we've seen the maturity uh, throughout medical and then adult use or recreational legalization. You know, the, the market matures over time. The consumer matures. The education can, you know, matures. We're coming from something that was taboo for so long. What little education was out there was very rarely discussed. You know, in, in an open forum. Um, so how, what have you seen it, specifically to the Florida market? How have you seen it mature? Because you, you mentioned you guys being one of the original five licenses out there. What, how have you seen the market mature? I mean, I'm sure that's, that's a pretty broad question because there's a lot of different senses for the market to mature, but what are some of the things that you've seen along the, the market maturity down there? Well, the
1: first, the first part is what we just talked about, general baseline understanding. Um, um, you know, The interesting thing in Florida was the program had a very slow start because you're required to have a physician diagnosis and treatment plan in place. And quite frankly, the endocannabinoid system wasn't even taught in medical school until the late nineties. And so a lot of the physicians that would be eligible to be treating physicians, they just didn't know about it themselves. So our early days wasn't teaching consumers. It was teaching doctors Mm. um, about it. Uh, And so the doctors had to learn, which caused pretty slow ramp. We're now to that point where there's enough practicing physicians. Uh, there's enough information out there. Those doctors, you know, being bona fide real, real doctors, they didn't just take what you read off the internet or what, what the dealer down the street said about the stuff they needed science. Well, the only science out there in the early days was coming out of Israel and other European s- states. Uh, and so there wasn't any good research that you could hand to a physician um, and say, here, doctor, this is real medicine and here's how, why you can prescribe this um, or submit an order. So physician knowledge was very low in the beginning. Customer knowledge was very low in the beginning. That is all increasing. So that's a trend. The other interesting trend is a more recent one, and that is the overall quality of the product. Um, the reality is, is that the flour, just the flour, not the other derivatives, the flour in Florida in the early days, and I'll define the early days as anytime between uh, then and now, Um, was really just not that good a quality. Um, It's hard to grow cannabis in Florida. It's not allowed to be grown outside, which is a good thing because it would not be successful outside anyway. Cannabis doesn't like wet feed and it doesn't like all the humidity of Florida. And so as a result, dialing in structures that can grow it in a successful and cost efficient manner has been very difficult. Well, we're getting to that point now. Um, These facilities have been around long enough. The growers have come in and started to really deal with each facility, which is its own organism and starting to dial it in, in a way that they've identified what strains are successful there. They've in many cases developed their own strains um, that work in those facilities. Flower quality is continuing to improve bit by bit over time. Um, And so I think with that, then consumer knowledge of quality becomes um, more and more increased. And that's, that's the trend we're on right now. It's not necessarily that someone from West Coast is coming in to educate everyone. It's that the ability to produce the product here is getting better and better.
0: Absolutely, and I think you you, you mentioned a great point of how the flour wasn't there, but the other products didn't suffer. And I think for, for patients or people out there that don't quite understand, the majority of products outside of flour are a derivative, like you said, based on an extraction method. And so it's much easier to get consistency and get an end product that does what it says it's gonna do no matter, you know, it's not like a super poor quality, but you don't need the utmost quality craft product going into that process to get consistent edibles or distillate or whatever. So I think, you know, I, I, I wanna provide some context. I thought that was a beautiful statement. Um, and another thing that I, that I think that I wanted to ask is the vertically integrated model you know you're not just setting up a singular craft grow where you can grow a craft brand you have to grow the entire products for your all the SKUs for what you're selling at retail and so going from zero to that i mean that's quite a bit of scale at starting out and so would that also have contributed to these obstacles or hurdles of getting that quality of the flower up would you say
1: It's a, it's a
0: tremendously capital
1: intensive business um, to start from scratch. I have people all the time said, I'd love to get a license in Florida. And I say, no, you don't. A license is just a a ticket to spend another 50 to $80 million to get a return on your investment in about two years. Um, You know, we, we have to build it and then we have to grow it. Um, And those two processes, especially building in the post COVID world with supply chain issues, those two processes have their own, timeline and then it's really not even a relevant factor of how much money you throw at it. The plant grows as fast as it grows, regardless of how much money in your pocket. And so it's a, it's a long timeline. It's fraught with issues, um, less so now than in a few years ago. I mean, we were in the frontier a few years ago and using other industries to understand how to extrapolate into ours. And now there's quite a few of us have done the same thing twice or three times. And we, we, we understand where the, the pitfalls are to some extent, there's still plenty we haven't seen. Um, but starting out with a brand new license, uh, in a vertical state is quite a daunting hill to climb.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, a lot of this is, is shaped by regulation. And I know something we were talking about right before we started is, um, some, you know, we don't necessarily call it the, the war, but, you know, you, you alluded to this, you know, I heard about the price war, you alluded to the discount war, but learning a little bit more about that briefly before we we're talking it sounded like that was more more rooted in regulation and complying with regulation than it was competitive nature so could you give me a little bit of you know context for the second time now but while we're while we're discussing on on, on the mic here um just of kind of what happened in that florida market with this price or, or or discount war that seems to have just happened over this last month
1: sure um it was it was interesting. Um, you know, our sales group watches sales. We watch the O menu data of, of milligrams sold. We, you know, we watch our competitors as any retail um, outfit would. Um, and it kind of started. I feel like my kids. They started it. Uh, kind of started with cureleaf Leaf. Um, their tr- M A transaction was approved and took a while to process. During that time, the the uh, the the entity, the the lower facility, the uh, um, cultivation facility, continued to produce because. These machine, these, these facilities are kind of like machines that you don't want to shut back down. Once they're started, once they're in a production cycle, they're kind of hitting on all cylinders. You do not want to shut them down. So it continued to produce flour. Well, that flour has a shelf life. Cureleaf gets their um, program together, they start stacking inventory because they're waiting to for their MA deal to be uh, completed, and they end up with a tremendous amount of inventory that has a ticking shelf life. So they started with a fairly aggressive discount program. A few days later, um, the TrueLeave Harvest transaction was approved by the DOH and one thing in Florida you can't do is own two licenses. You have to almost immediately dispose of your other license. The other thing in Florida you can't do is transfer biological assets between one license to the other. There is absolutely no wholesale provision at all. The result of which and maybe some other accounting decisions and so forth that was made by TrueLeave and Harvest is that Harvest had to dump its inventory. So it literally dumped out in a series of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80% off sales, all the way up to the day they closed their doors. This took us from late August all the way through September. Um, very intimidating to be a competitor when your competitor, in this case, Harvest has no profit motive at all. Their sole motive is to, is to get rid of their inventory, regardless of profit. It's a almost a kamikaze sales effect. Um, and so, We had to suffer through that. Um, Fluent did not lose market share. Uh, We didn't realize the margins we wanted, um, but we were able to successfully stay in the ring, if you would, kind of with the stick and move, select sales scenario. Um, But other companies like Truly did lose market share. Um, And it was a tough time for all of us. And then it ended on five o'clock on a certain day, um, (laughs) the harvest license was no longer valid and effective and the doors had to close and it was over. It stayed quiet for 10 or 11 days. Then normal sales resumed
0: man and it's it's funny to hear about that because i i've been around cannabis for quite a long time and you know back in the whatever they call it, traditional market whatever the old days you know we we used to call it fucking up the game when some when someone was letting go of stuff underneath the market value you know it, it was called fucking up the game because ultimately that drove everyone else that had product to drive their prices down but who really lost was the consumer because they start chasing these cheap deals that are unsustainable and get accustomed to a new price and then when you bring the price back up to where it should be it kind of messes with the market so in your guys's case who really loses while businesses may lose money the patient who's now seeing 80 percent off deals and thinking oh, okay now i'm accustomed to buying eighths at x amount of dollars and it's not a sustainable model so Do you feel like there was feedback from patients, good or for bad in the discounts? And then moving out of that, was there feedback negative feedback from patients uh, on just pricing because ultimately they're the ones that that lose the most in that type of uh, situation.
1: So, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the patients don't have the inside data as to what's going on. Um, I think in the uh, early late August, early September, there was just much rejoicing. Um, Everyone thought that this was the new normal, that um, we, some magic button had been pushed out there, um, attributable to the big guys coming into the state. And all of a sudden price was being adjusted because the entities that were here were being out competed. And, uh, uh, and then as it got more and more aggressive, you know, it became what I consider one of these mattress store liquidation sales. Um, you know, at some point people started saying, what's going on? Why, why, why is this 80% off? You know, at some point two deals are too good. Yeah. And when the deals became too good, we just sat back when they crossed the 60 to 70 percent off threshold, we no longer tried to compete. We couldn't. We would we would be giving it away for less than we could grow it. And so we just sat back and watched. And, um, you know, consumers, they're triggered by price. They, they like they like price, but they're not they're not dumb. They, they know when something doesn't smell right. And, and when they got into that 70, 80 percent off mark, um, you could see on Reddit and otherwise, and even our own customers, you know, what's going on that, that red flag started popping up. So they knew better. They knew it was not uh, a reality and it was an anomaly. Even if, even if the average consumer didn't know the why they, they were smart enough to know it, something wasn't right.
0: Yeah. And that's funny. You, you brought up Reddit, which is something I actually wanted to bring up. Um, you know, again, being out here on the West coast, Reddit is not as prevalent in the conversation of cannabis um you know we have the weed maps i think our culture around cannabis and how accessible it's been you know people are more comfortable talking about it in public but what i've noticed going out to massachusetts and just doing a lot of research on florida over the last year uh, reddit is very active with patient consumer reviews opinions things on the market what what is reddit like what place has that had in the marketplace Um, And what are some of the pros and the cons that is presented the the industry down there? You
1: you mentioned um, the impact of regulations on business in the cannabis space. Reddit, I believe, is just another one of those results. Um, What people out west uh, and other states just don't get a grasp on is how strictly regulated we are. Um, You know, no billboards, no radio, no TV, no direct advertising, no print media. So, you know, what happens is, is that we're, we're, we're kind of stuffed into a, a blackout mode. Um, people are looking for ways to communicate. The companies are looking for ways to communicate that are legal and and through at least at this point uh, means that haven't yet been stopped by the Department of Health. And so uh, because we can't send out Facebooks or emails and because we can't direct market, because we can't do all these things, um, the there's there's very little ways to for consumers to to compare and to talk amongst everyone about what um, the competitors are doing. And so Reddit has become that platform Um, and and it's it's there. It's getting the benefit of the regulation, if that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and that's a great point. That's a great way to put it. Um, And I haven't quite thought about it like that. And that makes complete sense. I just—I was told then, in Vegas
1: during MJ Biz by a, Cali- a very popular California brand uh, CEO that uh, that over in Florida we have no idea what we're doing advertising. We don't even have a billboard up, and I said, "You know, I don't know if you've been to Florida. There, there we have plenty of billboards. We know how to put one up. We just can't legally do so." Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, it just kind of—it's it, hard to even understand in, by, uh, operating in such a tight regulatory environment.
0: Right, and it's. You know, everything's different, right? Like, I, you know, I, I, re- I currently reside in Washington where there is no vertical integration, you know, California allows vertical integration, but also invo- allows individual license types, well, it's not necessarily vertical integration, but someone can acquire all of those licenses and hold the whole supply chain if they so choose. That's, you know, potentially forward thinking, national legalization, the, the model that will likely exist. Um, so what are your thoughts on some of the pros and cons of being in a vertically integrated market? The,
1: the concept is sound the the concept from a legislative point of view is accountability, that it keeps it keeps outside product out. Um, for instance, if you look at a market like Michigan, you know, the market is in total chaos from a pricing point of view because there's just no way to control outside product from coming in. Um, there's just not strong enough regulatory um, enforcement and a guidance scheme to allow that in a vertical scenario, you know, that plan is tracked from the day it's cut all the way to the day it's distributed as a final product with batch coding and such that we could track down. So every product that a consumer buys, it doesn't matter if it's an edible or otherwise has a batch code that can take us all the way back to the plants, the plant or plants that it came from. And so there's a superior, uh, method of accountability for that product that accountability extends into health and safety concerns um, you know we we are responsible for it from seed to sale and so from that point of view it, it makes a lot of sense it, what it does though is it does restrict the entry into the market and that's the biggest concern of those who want to get in um, you know the non-vertical format allows entries at different levels and there's levels to get into this market that are quite frankly, a lot less capital intensive. For instance, the retail at its heart, a store is just a store, whether it's an Apple store or selling shoes or selling cannabis, it's the same box, certain amount of rent, buy wholesale, sell retail, mark it up. That's that's a very simple model, very easy to entry. You don't have to grow anything. You don't have to extract anything. Um, and so the biggest complaint is that it's an inhibitor of free flow of business because it's been called among other things, a monopoly. Um, it, so there's there's pluses and minuses on both sides. Um, I can see I can see why it's a it's a preferred methodology for a state, especially a conservative state, to get involved and do be vertical. And I can see why business interests who just really want to get in and get in for a lower cost of capital do not like vertical.
0: Yeah, and and with that, you know, it's something noticed across all of cannabis that I've noticed. Whether you're vertical or not, this is a business you have to get in with cash on hand. There's only so many. Um, people with that kind of capital that are also, you know, have the risk tolerance for cannabis. So even States like Washington that I'm in that set up all these laws and regulation to avoid monopolies still essentially created a system where monopolies can thrive and take advantage of the system. So it seems difficult to get away from that stigma regardless of where you're at. Um, But being that it is so capital intensive to get into a vertically integrated market, you know, it's as expensive as it's going to get infrastructure wise we're starting to see these massive financial investments go into those markets. And when people are putting that kind of money, they're obviously building out large infrastructure and from the outside, looking in, I'm not in that market. It seems like just some of the financial investments and just scale of these businesses that potentially the infrastructure slowly starting to exceed the demand from the patients. Is that something that you guys are seeing a supply and demand issue in the state of Florida?
1: No, Um, quite frankly, we are still under production. If you take all of the cultivation space in Florida and compare it to the demand, we are still several hundreds of thousands square foot of cultivation space under the demand. Um, the, you know, some, some operations have more than others. Um, but we are all, um, inventory restrained as far as our sales potential. Um, it, is, um, it, is, it is surprising how much uh, cultivation space um, this state could support even under a medical market. Um, and so um, same thing. I was in Pennsylvania. The, the biggest concern about Pennsylvania sales the last two years has just been pure inventory, just getting yeah. the inventory to sell because the production wasn't there. Um, it is um, still an underserved element of most markets in the East now, obviously, you have some uh, Colorado and California examples where it may be overserved, but 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 there is not any concern right now about hitting some kind of production
0: limit. Hmm. And do you, do you envision that even coming in the in the next couple two to two to five years, or or think it's a little far fetched? It, it depends.
1: So, what Florida? You know, Florida is still medical, and
0: we have seen a
1: slowdown of new patients at this time registering. And that is because there has not been a legislative initiative to cause new patients to come to the table. I believe there are many more new potential patients out there. But what happens is, is it takes, you know, the move to flower, then the move from low THC to high THC, then the move to flower, then the oncome of edibles, the expansion of conditions. And each of those legislative moves brought patients to the market. Well, we haven't had a legislative move uh, of opening it in any way in a while. And so the new patients are starting to trickle off. Um, but there are other legislative initiatives that could be done. Uh, for instance, reciprocity, um, it's short of being a full adult, just being able to reciprocate like many states do would be tremendous for Florida. Um, because we have Orlando and Miami and Tampa where, you know, a good part of the year, there's other people from other states there for a week or so. And so there, there are other, legislative moves that um, could allow the market to continue opening. And I'm not even speaking of recreational or adult use in Florida, which would be a tremendous pickup.
0: And when, you know, we've all thrown out our estimates on that. What what is your thought process or or what's your you know finger on the pulse of that? Of when do you think adult use might potentially come to Florida?
1: So, you know, our Department of Health is in charge of the regulations. They're in charge of administering the licenses. They have been fairly quiet and inactive, Um, there's plenty of speculation as to why. Uh, There was a Supreme Court decision, uh, Supreme Court case, the Florida Grown case challenging the vertical integration system. Um, For a while, the department took the position that they were going to do nothing until that case was resolved. The Supreme Court took a long time resolving it. Um, It it was never clear to me why the department couldn't proceed, um, um, but they just didn't. Now that the patient count has hit 600,000 by statute, the department should have opened up the rules. They haven't. They're slowly working through that. I think all of that leads to there being uh, executive pressure on the executive agency, um, Department of Health, just not to move the program very far, not to expand it. Um, If you take that analysis uh, and there could be others, but that's mine. um, It means you have to have a governor change. Um, you know, so which means we're talking about a, a situation as to whether the current governor runs again. Um, there are some candidates out there. Nikki Freed, uh, who's the current commissioner of agriculture, has made it very clear that she's a pro cannabis supporter. So they're probably the next move for Floridians to have the opportunity to look at a serious adult scenario a use scenario is the governor change. The ballot initiatives that have continued to, to, to bubble through have continued to fail. Uh, the Supreme Court has failed to certify two of them now. The certification standards have increased since the last failure so it's not likely a ballot initiative is is going to be the trick i I think it's going to be a change in the executive
0: that that makes sense that that definitely makes sense um and it's as curious some of those states who wonder if we're going to see uh federal declassification first or if we're going to see some of these states switch over to adult use i know that's that's an impending question for a lot of people these days um what What do you guys envision as kind of being, you know, again, another simple pros and cons question, but some of the advantages and the disadvantages of of coming into when the market turns over to uh, adult use of of coming in from being vertically integrated at a medical, what are some of the business? I mean, there's some clear business advantages of that, but what are some of the advantages and also potential hurdles that might be faced?
1: So it depends. Um, With the change to adult use, how that change is accomplished is it accomplished from a regulatory point of view is there some legislative or ballot initiative um, almost every one of those changes brings with it the possibility of restructuring the licensing scenario adding licenses going to some retail licenses uh you know changing from the vertical format so the, you know the question really comes down to how much change changes at the time um but let's assume that everything stays in place. We just, tomorrow we wake up and we can sell adult use. Um, we're, we don't have enough. Um, I go back to what I said a minute ago. We're struggling in a medical market with 600,000 registered patients to meet the demand. Uh, we would be woefully under uh, the demand. Um, if tomorrow adult use came to light and we were based off the same regulatory scheme. Um, I think you see um, as the bigger players come into Florida, you see that their aggressive move for footprint that's going on right now. The number of stores that are being opened already are building in that scenario. Uh, the number of stores that are being opened now are starting to surpass the record, the medical need, and really starting to look towards that
0: recreational demand. That no, that that makes sense, and. Uh... Definitely see that on the definitely see that on the East Coast pretty heavily some big players coming in and being aggressive. Just the you know the impending national or federal legalization or at least declassification um, is coming. And then you know what do you feel like is just the average? Like you know you mentioned a second ago that it's going to take most likely a, a leadership change in the state to to see some real changes within this industry. What do you feel like over the last few years? Just the general public's view of cannabis has changed in Florida. Like wh- where do they kind of currently stand on viewing it? Do you feel like most people are in favor of adult use or simply staying back, hey, we believe in the medical properties and we kind of just want to keep it that way? So it's, it's, it's really the same process
1: that has occurred and will occur in all of the Southern states to include Texas, Alabama and so forth. It's a, you know, it's a begrudging entry into the marketplace uh, it, begrudgingly acknowledging the science that I said now is developed and, and exist. Um, you know, there are there's too many people that um, have um, uh, the need for this as a medicine for representatives who are elected to, to deny it. So, you know, every one of these statutory schemes, they go through um, a scenario where the sausage making process is so onerous that you end up with a cannabis bill, but not really. You have a low THC and you can't use flour and all of that. And then what happens is um, those opposers, those detractors, they spend a year and they realize, oh, you know, actually there's a cannabis store right around the corner from me. And lo and behold, it, it doesn't seem like there's a bunch of druggies all laid out on the sidewalk. And looks like my crime didn't increase like I thought. And yeah. um, you know, it, all of these, ghosts and goblins and specters, appropriate for Halloween, I guess, um, that are haunting these people. They don't happen. They don't occur. And then it starts to loosen up a little bit more. So it's, it's never going to be embraced or accepted by portions of the community, but Uh, a tolerated evil as uh, where we're hoping for. And and in that kind, it's just like alcohol to some degree. I mean, there's still people violently and vehemently opposed to the concept of allowing alcohol to be consumed, but they have to concede that it's really not the impact that they um, had feared. Uh, And so, you know, not that alcohol doesn't have a negative impact on society. It does. Cannabis, if not properly regulated does as well. So it's, um, it's just interesting you just have to let it sit a minute and let it um not result in all of the gateway drug propositions and so forth that 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 follow it into the legislature
0: absolutely absolutely that's the 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 data looking at all the states that have legalized you know seem to be in favor of of you know that these negative things do not increase with legalization. You know, there's definitely some, there's some legit concerns, and then there's just some like you you've mentioned, just you know, long long passed down propaganda that can't seem to go away. That um, I know a lot of us are excited to see these myths dispelled. Um, you know, well, the
1: best thing that ever happened to us was the opioid scam that you know legitimate regulated pharmaceutical companies pulled on American society uh, and the physicians, and I think it's come out now that. You know that it was a total complete scam and that it is a very harmful drug that's super addictive and it destroys lives um and so for for cannabis being a alternative to that that drug um really was a boost for cannabis acceptance
0: absolutely no absolutely absolutely there's got you know definitely when you look at how the opioid crisis has unveiled itself over this last decade especially you look at like cannabis like it can't be you know there's got to be a better alternative to this stuff, man. There's got to be, um, you know, coming out uh, of COVID. I know you said that mentioned um, slowing down, you know, just acquisitions and getting real estate building. I mean, you, you you mentioned it in terms of building out cultivation facilities, but what what did COVID all impact the market beyond just you know kind of slowing the world down? What are what are some of the challenges that have been brought forth over this last you know god year and a half? I think at this point.
1: So it's been interesting um, for those companies like ours that have were in a growth mode, meaning we were attempting um, very frustratingly to put increased cultivation on the ground, increased packaging and processing. You know, we were primarily in the construction business during this time. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if you've tried to build anything during the post-COVID era, but, you know, supply chain issues. Uh, we have paid for products sitting all over the world with no way to get there. We have uh, materials that are essential for our construction that, you know, we can't find the truck for the material never before heard of supply chain issues, labor issues. And so on the right side, uh, COVID and post-COVID has uh, negatively impacted our business. Um, On the other side, on the sales side, um, it was interesting that COVID caused an increase in sales. Um, You know, I think uh, attributable to some of the palliative effects of anxiety, You know, there was a great deal of anxiety around a global pandemic. Um, A lot of people, um, you know, relied on cannabis to ease that anxiety. Um, The Department of Health very uh, efficiently started changing our delivery. We were allowed grab and go at the curb. drive throughs became popular. You know, we adapted like everyone else adapted, Um, but we might have been in some of the commercial complexes that we're operating in. um, We might have been the only business that was thriving. You know, you'd go into a business and you'd have a shut down restaurant and a shuttered coffee shop and then a booming cannabis store on the other end um, because the, the the negativity of COVID didn't impact us uh, from a sales point of view.
0: And then for curbside and delivery, have you seen the uptick in those, con- you know, consumer trends continue in a world that's opening up? Absolutely. We uh, so we're COVID uh, curbside was a temporary
1: measure okay. in Florida, and so it's no longer allowed. Um, and, and that's, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's a lot of security concerns using curbside, but drive-thrus have been a tremendous growth area. Um, I I have a hard time opening a new store without a drive through at this point. And if you think about it, it was, it was always there for the potential. It wasn't just a COVID issue, but it was triggered by COVID. But in our stores, you you have to be a card holder to participate. You know, anyone can't just walk in and browse. And so if you show up with your kids in the car to get your prescription, you know, what do you do? Uh, the drive through alleviates that. If you have friends that are with you, happen to be with you and you want to stop by the dispensary, those friends have to sit in the car. Uh, and so it's very much a, um, a utility and convenience to use the drive through. And I think that trend, while really kickstarted by COVID, I think that trend continues.
0: Absolutely. And, and drawing that parallel to the pharmacy, right? I can go to any pharmacy and pick up my prescriptions for any other, you know, prescribed drug. And that's something that Americans have been doing for quite some time and don't bat an eye or blink at, but then you bring up cannabis or something like that. And some people think oh, safety concerns and this and that. But again, like we mentioned, you you can go get your opioids, your Oxycontin, whatever's prescribed to you through a drive through any day of the week in in the traditional sense. So uh, it only makes sense that it's, you know, that the same luxury is afforded to patients of this industry as well what are you know coming out of covid the world's starting to open back up you know things are starting to move in every sense of the word whether it's just community culture communication uh regulatory bodies are starting to finally get together catch up on on, uh, taking a laxed year off if you will um what are what are some of the goals you guys have your eyes set on for 2022.
1: well texas um texas is one of our core markets we're one of three licenses there, Um, but the nature of the legislation and of the regulations is what I was describing for you earlier. It had a program, but the um, poison pills within the program were such that it just, we could not develop a viable business model. Um, It was frustrating because DPS, the agency in Texas which regulates us and being regulated by multiple agencies, sometimes they're with you and sometimes they're not. Um, DPS, Legitimately, the people there were with us. They wanted to help us develop a viable model in Texas, but they were restrained by some of the uh, uh, legislative conditions. Um, And so big push this year um, to get the lobbying effort in to expand Texas did not achieve some of the goals we wanted. It's another scenario where the executive is just not allowing the expansion of the program, but uh, through political compromise and hard work over there of some of the Texas representatives, Um enough was passed uh with a 1% THC and then the expansion of the conditions to make it a viable program. Um and so we've been working with DPS, you know, to start expanding the marketplace there. It's interesting because it's starting all over again. Same scenario. It's medical. You have a very uneducated uh consumer group there that's not really sure whether it's good for them or not, not really sure how it can be effective for them. And so we're gonna start all over again with the awareness days and um the education process but uh so so texas now is a is a viable uh expansion market for us
0: that's awesome that's awesome to hear this this sounds like it's going to be a year of growth and then you guys focused on entering any other markets or or just staying and, and continuing to build up these assets in the in the current market you're operating in
1: you know we're always looking for opportunities um the markets we're in now are still growing um, as you mentioned earlier, capital is always a concern. Capital is available now, but still very expensive. We still do not have access to banking. So we're still looking at private loans. Um, as a result, you have to be cautious with how you grow. You have to be cautious where you spend your dollars. Um, we probably have another year, this 2022 year to continue to develop and, and and drill down vertically on development of our Florida asset, the Texas asset and so forth. Um, before we looked at any kind of footprint expansion in other States, um, unless the right opportunity came along. Uh, they always talk about the market being in the consolidation mode and it is, but it's more of an internal consolidation, meaning mm-hmm. we're, we're all buying each other up. Um, there's no outside forces coming into this market yet, but it will come. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at offers. People are looking at us. It's a, uh, it's become a, an everyday uh, event for us to have one or more entities looking at us and for us to look be looking at one or more entities. Uh, it's just it's just where we are right now. Um, having said that, uh, for us to acquire, it would have to be a really good opportunity because we need to spend that money developing uh, what we already have.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and that's that's a great point. You know, We are in a consolidation market, but I think that's a great point about how it is very much internalized. Um, that's another, that, um, that's a takeaway, a personal takeaway for me in, in this conversation. Um, yeah, so I, I really appreciate the conversation today, man. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I generally let people plug whatever they want. If there's anything we didn't cover that people need to know about Fluent, man, man let them know.
1: Well, the one thing I would uh, follow up on is um, you talked about flower quality. Our investment was in our Sweetwater facility. It's segregated, small batch, uh, artisanal type grow. Um, The rooms are 1,400, 1,600 square foot, three strains a room. Uh, We've got very, very small microclimate dial in there, allowing those seeds to reach their genetic potential. And as a result, the Sweetwater FTH product that Fluent is putting out in Florida is exceptional. Um, We're changing that quality level. Uh, We've just released several big strains. Uh, People are loving it. Um, Again, being able to get that message out is difficult uh, in Florida. But again, going back to Reddit, if you read the Reddit reviews, people are going nuts about some of the stuff that's coming out of our Sweetwater facility. You know, the whole point of that facility from, from day one was to be able to design uh, enough control over the environment so that we could allow the strains to reach their genetic potential. And it's and it's now successful. It's in full operation.
0: That's great to hear. And again, I'm going to provide further context as, as just a weed nerd, you know, Going to a lot of facilities, that's definitely how you grow, you know, craft cannabis is grown in small rooms, craft cannabis grown at scale is grown in many small rooms. And so that 1600 square feet is definitely a a very common range to see people that are pumping out quality flour, of keeping it, like you said, microclimate, limited strains per room. That's definitely how you, you know, start this conversation, dial your stuff in, but dial it in real specific to what you're growing, have real good control, touch of everything so it, it definitely sounds like you guys are headed towards quality when you're growing with those type of methods
1: yeah we're proud of that facility we're proud to see that it is uh, now that it's all buttoned up and in full swing uh, it'll be in full swing by december but it's got nine or ten rooms operational now and the, the it just gets get better and better coming out of that
0: facility awesome well robert i really appreciate you joining us today and, and having this conversation and i definitely enjoyed learning about fluent and and the florida market in general man thank you very much
1: Okay, thank you for your time.